Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Featherstone here, Pancakes and Power Slam show. Of course, as I uh, said before, uh, this is uh, this is great. This is an awesome interview for tonight's episode 371, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tonight is uh, is a great night for me <laughs> as a uh, as a journalist, but as a wrestling fan. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've interviewed many people, uh, many Hall of Famers. I think maybe 10 now, uh, from WWE. And, you know, I, uh, I love professional wrestling. I love the business. Uh, but you know, you, you get, you get your bucket list items every now and then. And as a journalist, there's a few people that I wanted to interview. Uh, I've, uh, two of those people I've interviewed and this person makes three. There's a couple more, but, uh, this person makes three. And it's funny, uh, because this person is also in my top three favorite pro wrestlers of all time. I've said this many times. I've, a lot of people know my list, and uh, he's in the top three. Uh, and I've been watching wrestling for over 30 years now. And uh, this person is just uh, probably, I say, the best the best pure baby face in, in pro wrestling history. One of the most pure, fluid wrestlers Accolade after accolade, you know who he is. I don't have to say too much about him as far as who he is, but I'm so glad that he's on the show tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the man, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. How are you tonight, sir? Hey, Chris. You know something? Let me let me say this. That, that was the best intro that I've ever had. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. That was the, the best intro I've ever had. Wow. You've uh, interviewed a lot <laughs> in your in your career, so uh, that's a lot. Uh, who, who are the other two guys from your, your, your top list? Yeah, well, I'll give you my top five. Number five is Booker T. Number four is Chris Jericho. Number three is you. Number two is Dusty Rhodes. And number one is Sting. Oh. Yep. <clears throat> Those are my top five right there. Been in my top five for, I don't know, probably 20 years, to 15 years now. Um and uh, yes, that's my story. I'm sticking to it as far as my favorites. I don't think that top five will ever be broken. <laughs> it's, been, it's been the top five for a while, and I don't think it'll ever go away. Because especially you, Dusty, and Sting. Um, I just, you know, you you three, I was an NWA guy growing up. I like WWE, but I grew up in the 80s and, and 90s, early 90s. And I started watching wrestling around 85. I would say probably 85. 84 well you were in the you were mostly wwe in the mid 80s well you're you're wwe nwa feuding with you know teaming with young blood feuding with flair of the u.s title and then you know you had your little wwe run and then of course going back to the nwa wcw winning the championship uh in 89 and so a lot a lot of the 80s uh wrestling although i watched both there was something about the NWA that really hooked me because I was just having this conversation last week. Um, WWE came to my hometown last week for for SmackDown, and beforehand we a bunch of a uh, bunch of us just fellowship and just talk old school wrestling and <laughs> over some wings or something like that. And so we were talking. I was just like, there was something about old school NWA that just really hooked me because you actually had someone compete in a match and walk over a few steps to a podium and then and then plug their match plug their brand and then you know cut a 
a just a, a scathing promo uh, against their nemesis and give us such a cliffhanger of what town to watch it's to come to uh whatever weekend it is you know this saturday in evansville you better come because i'm going to take you i'm going to take you down you know is there there was such an amazing draw to me as a fan to cuz i think the art of the cliffhanger is something that's kind of been missing for a while and i really love that about the nwa um yeah not not only not only with not only with cliffhangers and but uh the i think the guys that worked in the nwa were head and shoulders above other organizations mm mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you when you were in the NWA, uh, I was brought up in the NWA. Actually, I started with Vern and AWA, but that was just a short run. And then I spent so many years doing NWA until late 84 and the beginning of 85. And then I went up to when there was the WWF at that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, that uh, that's it. Does anybody know the story of the transition? Why I went from NWA to WWF? I I've heard of it, but uh, for for those who are listening, um, you know, maybe maybe they've never heard it. So uh, go for it. Well, uh, Dusty Rhodes came in as the booker mm-hmm. for Croc. Is this the story you heard? Yep. <clears throat> yep. And. He was still working, of course, and top babyface. was top babyface in the um, Crockett Mid-Atlantic. And just and he was the guy with the pencil. Mm-hmm. And just using me to make heels look good for him to take the heel after I've had a run and then beat him. Mm-hmm. And that started with Tony Blanchard. Now, I enjoyed working with Tully. And, uh, you know, he was a TV champion at that time. The, uh, even though the main event match was 60 minutes, the TV championship was only up for the first 10. Mm-hmm. And we'd all go, we'd have our match, and I, I would beat him in 15 minutes, and I wouldn't the match, and he'd go home with the belt. And then we'd get on TV, the time limit extended to 20 minutes, and I'd beat him in 22. I'd win the match, but he'd go home with the belt. And we went around the territory, both North and South Carolina and Virginia, for a couple of months like that. And then they, he had a big show in Greensboro, and Dusty booked himself with uh, Tully and went out there and beat him in eight minutes. Yeah. And then the next thing I, I found out, I was being hooked up with Nikita Koloff when Nikita was just very green, very, very green. And, um, we were going to do an angle on TV, and uh, he gave me a clothesline from behind. And um, I think my head went into the upper bleachers. Mm. Um, it wasn't too long after that. I just went into Jim Crockett. I said, you know, I've been here, mm, I think, about eight years, and I, I think it's just time for a move. I didn't put any heat on Dusty. I didn't say the reasons or nothing, anything. I just said, look, I've been in the long and it's time for me to make a move. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, when I made my move. But 20 years later, maybe 25 years later, when we were, when I was working at NXT in Tampa, Dusty was also working there. I finally had a talk with Dusty. 
he brought up the fact that uh, when he was booking and, and that I left him. And I said, no. I um, told him the story. I said, you're the booker, and using me, I was a top babyface, and you being a top babyface, so I just thought it's best to make a move. And I, t- and I looked at Jesse, and I said, oh, for over 20, 25 years, I had a, a gentle feeling about you, but I'm telling you right now that I'm going to thank you for it. And the reason being is that when I left and went to the WWF at that time, it took Ricky Steamboat to another level. It did. It did. And um, after all these years, I'm, I'm just want to say thank you for, you know, I understand your position. You're the booker, and, and, and you've got to make things happen and make things work. I was there for a long time, eight years, and working for Crockett. But um, the ill feeling is gone, and, and I owe you a big debt of gratitude. Wow. And he said, yeah. Wow. And he said what? He didn't hardly say anything. Uh, just looked at me and gave me a nod and a smile, and we shook hands. And uh, then we, you know, went back to work at NXT school, mm-hmm. FCW. Wow. That's really interesting. That, you know, a lot of respect, you know, to you for that. Uh, I didn't know that. Now, I knew that there was some conflict between you and Dusty as far as the booking. I didn't know about the Nikita part, and I didn't know about the, you know, the, the bearing the hatchet, so uh, so to speak. So that's uh, really, really yeah, interesting. Well, that's new news to you, right? It is. It is. And I, I love well, to you know, hear new stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, with, with Nikita, Nikita was, you know, the, uh, the Russian, right? Yeah. And, and the writing on the wall that I saw was, here you got the American Dream and the red, white, and blue going to eventually work the main events with, with the Russian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what he did. Yeah, they ended up teaming together too. They won the Crockett Cup too, if I'm not mistaken, for one year. Uh, the, the the superpowers, I believe they were. Yeah, uh, really, really interesting. And, and and this is one one other thing that I don't think I ever knew, but I was really interested uh, about. Uh, I know that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because the story, the running story, is that your WWE run halted because. You wanted to concentrate more of your on your, you know, on spending time with your family. Is that correct? No. Hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> give me give me the real. Okay. Uh, we did the angle in December of '86 with me and Savage, with him coming off the top rope on my throat with the announcer's bell. Mm-hmm. And leading up to that, I gave word to the office that. My wife at the time, Bonnie, was pregnant, and my firstborn was going to be somewhere around first week of July. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, I'd like to have uh, either the week before and the week after off, uh, uh, two weeks, because I want to I be there uh, for my firstborn, you know. Chris, at those, those days, we, you know, we're at, we were doing 300 shows a year, you yeah. know. And traveling all over the country, and just just wanted to be sure that uh, I wanted to be there. Yeah. Who 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 would not want to be there with the firstborn, right? Right. You know, I was in my mid thirties, and um, Savage and I had our match. Uh, one of my all time favorites, and 
Um, I think we, well, I know we, we took the intercontinental belt to another level mm-hmm. and, um, definitely politics as it may be. Um, Vince, Vince just said, uh, we can't leave you. We can't leave the belt dormant for those couple of weeks that you want away. And he said, I'd like for you to drop it to, uh, Wayne, Honky Tonk. Yeah, yep. Yep. Well, who brought Honky Tonk in? Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. Did you you bring him? No. Hulk Hogan. Hmm. Who suggested to Vince to drop the belt to Honky Tonk? Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Hmm. And this, this news... This uh, this comes from a live interview that I saw saw Honky Tonk do and, and say that. Hmm. Very interesting. And, uh, and what do you what are your thoughts on you know he's the longest Intercontinental Champion of all time? Do you think that Hogan had some stroke in keeping the title on him? I I don't know anything about that hmm. honestly. Hmm. But imagine, yeah. you know what you know what you know what's funny that I had the belt about eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And when I do appearances and I do Q and A's room full of fans, and I've done a ton of them. Uh, I started doing it in the last six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm telling you the truth. His, his, why is his name never brought up? Uh, are you talking about honky tonk man's? Yeah. That is really interesting. Um, well, he only had one. I mean, he was the longest intercontinental champion of all time. But he only had one run, um, you know. So I, I don't know if someone would consider him the greatest. You know, I, I think he's Hall of Fame worthy. I don't think him being a Hall of Fame, you know, makes sense. Um, but some people, if you if you're kind of like a one and done, just because you had a long reign doesn't necessarily mean that. You know, you're one of the greatest. Like, for instance, JBL was, before AJ Styles, JBL was the longest reigning world champ in SmackDown history, right? He had it over a year or around, right. around there. And he's not considered one of the greatest, you know, even in the top five or ten. I mean, he had a really good run as a heel, but he's not considered the greatest you know, because he had I, the longest reign. Yeah, well, uh, JBL, talking real quick, I enjoy watching him work. And I especially enjoy his interview, his promos. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. You know. Yep. Yeah, he's that you know Texas blood off the cuff. You know, I mean old school type of promo for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. interesting. Yeah, he is. I agree. I think his promos are really good. Well, you know, I, what, would be, you know, what, you know what would be um, oh enriching. Um, if if some guy would 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 go out there and start doing promos like old school, oh, it would be very enriching for me as a fan. That's for sure. Oh yeah, and it uh, it certainly would uh, get the nod from all the old school uh, fans. But certainly, I think the new school fans would dig on it also. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because th- things feel so fabricated when it comes to promos and. Yeah. You know, 
promos is what hooked me. So I'm a, I'm a promo guy. I love I love hearing good, authentic promos. Like for instance, you know, you talk about Nikita. Uh, you know, he, this guy was so <laughs> engulfed in his character that he started to talk like he was like really Russian. You know, what I mean, like I loved that and just you know, someone like you. I, you know, it's interesting because I think someone like you really transcended what we see today. But I think that I think that the the scope now is a little bit too much of what you started. You know, I mean, you like, for instance, I think you the, the WrestleMania three, three match between you and Savage. It was so athletic Um that we see a lot of the in-ring action concentration today, but the difference between yeah. you know the difference between then and now, especially me watching both. I watched WrestleMania three, and you know just nowadays is that there was a story behind you and Savage. You know now you just throw two people together in the ring and they just you know you break a leg, you know or risk injury. To me, that doesn't, as a fan, that doesn't mean too much because there's no story behind it. If you just throw two people in the ring, I'm not really in, intrigued. I mean, the match will be good, but there's no lasting impression. WrestleMania three was 22 years ago. You know what I mean? And 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 it's still a lasting impression because not only because the match was amazing, that because you you mentioned him, you know. Uh, lacerating your throat, you know, with the with the ring bell, there was a story behind it, and I always say, uh, behind behind every good face, there's a good heel. You know, what I mean, in order to you know, to, in order to make a good baby face, you have to have a really good heel. And I think Savage did that part. What are your thoughts on just the dynamic of faces and heel now, heels nowadays? And like I said, that was such a story. And it was a really good heel to make a really good baby face. Now the lines are so blurred and you got one half of the arena chanting one uh, cheering and the other half booing the heels getting yeah. cheered. The lines are so blurred nowadays and doesn't really cause much excitement about the follow the, the coming weeks. Well, I saw that I saw the change uh, in late 80s. Um, the fans started to, and I, and it, you know, with Ric Flair starting to hooray him instead of booing him like five years earlier, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And, and I, I, this is this is this is my thought on the, on it. Uh, as fans were getting smarter to the business, and the ones that started hooraying the heels, it's because. They who raise, even though the guy works as a heel, you know, if it looks like a duck, smells like a duck, walks like a duck, it's a duck. But they, a guy would work and talk like a heel. But your fans, as they were getting smarter, and I'm saying late 80s through early 90s, mm-hmm. they started hooraying the heels. Why? Because they, they said, that guy entertains me. Yeah. Bottom line, um, I understand that he has a role to play. He has a character that he has to fulfill. But bottom line is, that guy entertains me, and I like it. Mm-hmm. And good heels can entertain the hell out. Oh, I'm sorry, the heck out of you. Mm. That can, that can. You're, you're right about that. 
what do you think a modern day heel can do to get back to the point of being a heel, <laughs> which is to get all the heat, get all the heat and ha- and put a baby face over by pinning this huge heat magnet. This person's oozing heat and they and they make a bigger baby face by the baby face getting the, you know, you know, come up and 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 the final, you know, the, the the final hurrah, you know, the the that's really, you know, a lot of just an old school method that that's what really makes the baby faces. Like for instance, you know, you and Flair was feuding, you know, 10 years before people knew about your big, you know, 89 title reign. You 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 y'all you feuding a long time. But there was something about the heelness of Ric Flair and the horsemen and things like that. And you were the baby face. You were the the quintessential good guy. Family man, you know, didn't say much, didn't really uh, there was nothing about you that was antagonizing. You had the look, you had the style, you had the, you know, you had you just oozing of athleticism. And Flair being the heel is what really helped you on that main event level. What do you think of a, a heel, or even from a booking standpoint, what do you think the WWE and pro wrestling as a whole can do to really get back to those days of, Strong baby faces and strong heels. Well, um, I, I see that when you watch a match, one of the things that I think that is missing is that every match has a story, and there's not very much of storytelling going on in the match. A lot yeah. of guys do fantastic stuff in the ring, and guys are very athletic, but they're not connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, what I mean is, if if I started working on the guy's arm and we're doing the Ricky Steamboat arm drags, and then we uh, segue into the heat, and he's starting to get some heat on me, but throughout uh, the heat section, I am finding ways of getting back to that arm. Mm-hmm. And then we stop me, and we're back in the heat. And then we move on, and I get back to that arm, and then he stops me, and we're back to heat. So we we front load it in the beginning where I established that I worked on his arm and we've got a wounded wing and throughout the rest of the story of the match, I paint a picture that I'm trying to get back to it because I know I've heard it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't see a lot of that today. I mean, I see guys go out there and look the head and neck and lower back and the leg and, you know, and uh, ribs and sort of all over the place but i think fans well when when i was working when i would work in a body part throughout the heat i would get back to it they were getting it because yeah. you know they said oh yeah i remember back you know five minutes ago he was really tearing that body part up you know mm-hmm. yeah um i don't i don't i don't see heels trying to do stuff behind the referee's back. Mm, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of blatant stuff that's happening out there right in front of the referee. You know what, you know what I mean, Chris? Uh, there was uh, heels that would do stuff that were illegal, but they made sure that the referee never saw it. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been in the locker room in which the heel would walk up to the ref and said, look, I'm going to buy you a six-pack tonight if you catch me one time. 
Wow. And most most times than not, that that referee would not have a would not have the beer. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. That's Simple a good point. Stuff, yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like just not even giving the fans a reason to boo you. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're if you're just as good, if you're if you're if you're looking like the babyface in the ring, you know the babyface is typically the athlete, and the, and the the heel is typically the yeah. the villain. But if they're both of them are looking a, a lot alike in the ring, what's the point of booing you? Well. Uh, a lot of times when I don't know guys and I watch, they ask me and uh, a lot of these shows that I go to, they said, Ricky, would you watch our match? I said, sure. I don't know them. And when they come back and they ask me, what did you think? And I said, well, first of all, um, you need as, as much as I know, and I've been in over 6,000 matches, mm-hmm. you two guys have to tell me who was good guy, who was bad guy. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I watch a whole match, and I, I can't tell you who was. If I can't, do you think the fans can? Right, exactly. Tell so me who. Then, like, well, I was the heel. The other guy, I was the babyface. You, you could have fooled me. Right, that's so true. <laughs> that's it, right there. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, I one hundred percent agree with that. Whenever I work, and it could have been with Flair or. Um, Young heel that was just coming up mm-hmm. within the first minute or two minutes, we established who's good guy, bad guy. Yep. Now, as popular as Flair was and me, we still would establish good guy, bad guy. Yep. In the first minute, yep. lock up, push me back in the corner with my hair and slap me. Right? Yep. And, uh, and, and then the guys that said, well, why would you do that? As popular as you guys were, the main event guys, 